Good morning, Boker Tovan. Welcome back to our Parsha Perspectives for today. So grateful to be together again, learning our sacred Torah and our timely Parsha that each week has messages that are not coincidental, that are designed for us for that week to learn from based on what's going on in our lives. I want to thank our generous Parsha series sponsors for the year, uh, our dear friends Becky and Avi Katz and family, in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, the Nishmas Menachem Ben... Uh, David ben Menachem Manish. Also want to thank today's sponsor, Rebecca Nawi, in memory of her beloved mother, Tamar Nawi. Alea Shalom. Tamar was one of the founders of our shul. We are so deeply grateful, of course, to uh, her and her husband for all that they did to uh, build our community. And today's learning is Lila Nishmasa. And lastly, by Ruvain and Ronit Yaakov and Shira, in honor of Grandpa Lou Miller's birthday, Lou, one of our beloved members, a very, very happy birthday to Lou Miller, who shares with Aunt Aviva. A very happy birthday. Admeve Esram in good health and happiness with tremendous nachas from your whole family. Thank you to all of our sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor a shear, this one or otherwise, please email lee at brsonline.org, l-e-e at brsonline.org. Okay, this week we have the privilege and pleasure of studying Parshas Emor, page 672 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Our Parsha is a continuation of the theme of last week. Last week, the second of the two parshios that we read began Kedoshim Tiyu, that we are charged, we are mandated, Kedoshim Tiyu, to live a life of Kedusha, that we don't live for happiness, we live for holiness. Very important exercise to consider what is the difference between the two. How do you define happiness? How do you define holiness? What does it mean to live for holiness instead of happiness? Kedoshim Tiyu. Interestingly, when you live for holiness, you find happiness. When you live for happiness, you find often the opposite of holiness. So our parsha is a continuation of that theme. Kedoshim Tiyu was a charge, a directive given to the totality of the Jewish people. Kedoshim Tiyu. All of us are to emulate and imitate Hashem by striving for sanctity, for holiness. We spoke last week from Rav Shimon Shkup that Kedusha in this context is to be not selfish but selfless, not a taker but a giver, to repair and to change and to transform the world for the good. And now we move over from the general Klal Yisrael Kedoshim to you, to the mission and the mandate, to the charge, to specifically the Kohanim. The Kohanim, the priests, are the teachers. They are the role models. They are the example, or they're meant to be, at least for the community, to be able to follow. And as such, they have certain instructions. The Kidashto, they have certain rights and privileges. They get the first Aliyah. Person is not allowed to be mishamish with the kohen. You can't ask a kohen to do something for you. Person has to treat the kohen with greater honor and dignity. The first right in benching, they duchen. So that being a kohen has certain rights and privileges, but mostly it's about duty and obligation. The kohen has to live a certain life. Certain kohen has to be a certain example. The boundaries within which the kohen has to live is a life of sanctity and sacredness that they're an even a greater example for the people. So I want to share with you a insight to begin with, from the Chalban. The Chalban, Zichron Levracher of Chaim Cohen, was uh, around Yerushalayim, looked like a very simple milkman. He was known as the Chalban, a milkman, worked in a milk factory. But the truth is, he was an extraordinary Talmachacham, a great Kabbalist. And when he was discovered, when he was, uh, to, so to say, outed as a great Kabbalist and Talmachacham, he began to teach, to write, and the wonderful Svarim Tal Lechayim and others that capture his ideas and lessons. And in there on Parshas Emor, he says the following, The role of the Kohen, the Kohen is not intrinsically or inherently superior to anyone. The fact that the Kohen has a position of distinction, and the fact that we have a responsibility and obligation to honor the Kohen, is not because the Kohen is intrinsically holier than anyone else, but rather the Kohen is a dogma. The Kohen is a model, an example for Klal Yisrael. Writes the Chaban Rav Chaim Kohen when the Jewish people look to the Kohanim of Hashem, to these exalted, elevated Kohanim. The holiness of the Kohen, the Kohen is deemed so sacred, so holy, they cannot be contaminated. The Kohen cannot be in a room, in a building in which there is a corpse. The Kohen cannot make himself Tomei other than to immediate relatives. The Kohen has certain responsibility to live a sacred life, not because he's intrinsically superior or holier than anyone else. It's not a Kedusha Acheres. The Kohen is living, the Kohen is realizing the potential holiness that is in every member of the Jewish people. 
the Kohanim, in their lifestyle, mehavim me'ein chalon el mashaganuz be'ma'amke am Yisrael kulam. The Kohen through the life they're living is an example of what we could achieve, of who we could be, of what our aspiration and ambition should be. Kedusha el Yonah shal Beis Hamikdash va'advekas elokis hashlema va'hatadiris. The Kohen, of course, serves in the Beis Hamikdash. The Kohen has access to areas and parts and activities that non-Kohenim don't. Again, not because the Kohen is intrinsically superior, better, or higher, but rather the Kohen is charged to say, look at me, look at my life and my lifestyle, look at the responsibilities I bear and know that I'm not different than you, you have this inside you. That doesn't mean that a Yisrael or a Levi should volunteer the boundaries the Kohen is living by, that's not the aspiration, but the aspiration for a life of mindfulness and meaning, in which we have a consciousness and awareness, a mission to strive for holiness, that the Kohen has mandated and regulated upon him is something we could all strive for. Mitzad HaEmes writes, In other words, where do we begin? This is what the Chalban is addressing. A very important point. That's why I share it with you this morning. Do we begin and say that every person is a blank slate? Do we begin and say that every person is, is, is nothing? Every person is essentially empty? And now based on the decisions we make, Based on the choices we make, we then determine and shape whether we become a tzaddik, a righteous person, or whether we become a rasha, a wicked person. No. Says the Chaban Tahori, the way we're born is pure. Everyone is born a tzaddik gadol. We strive for righteousness. We have a moral compass. We want to do what's right. In our core, at the core of who we are, is someone who wants to do what's right. At the core of who we are is someone with At the core of who we are is a manifestation, is a fulfillment, is an expression of God in this world. The Maral says, look at a totally ignorant Jew and don't see an ignorant Jew. See the potential for a Talmachacham. Don't see an Amaharetz. Don't see an ignoramus. See a future scholar. It sounds like it's simply semantics, but it's more than just words. It's a mindset. It's a paradigm. It's an attitude. Is what I see somebody who's either power of blank, nothing, but they're, they're, they're a nothing? Or do I see someone who's power of blank as on their way to being a tzaddik? Is the ignoramus an Amaharetz who I demean and diminish? Or is the Amaharetz somebody who is a the potential not yet realized. This is a Maral in the Siva Solom and the Siva Torah, Perik Tezvav. The Maral says that every Jew is walking around, not just we don't know who they are and what they could be. Who they are is the tzaddik they're meant to be. Who they are is the righteous. Who they are is the scholar. Who they are is the kind. Who they are is the spiritual. That's who we are. Now we just need to realize it. Now we just need to achieve it. And the more we hang around the people who have realized it, the better off we are. In comparison, if somebody is motivated, they want to be an Olympic athlete, they hang out with Olympians. Somebody wants to play in the NBA, they do their best to break into NBA practices and NBA summer league, and they want to hang out and do training with NBA stars. You hang out with who you want to be, and you hope through osmosis, through contagion, that you pick up the habits and the skills and the learning, and you follow in their way. And Lahavdil, that's the role of the Kohanim. The Kohanim live the life we are capable of. And then by holding them up as our example, by exposing ourselves to them, by connecting and attaching to them, we hope that they have an impact on us. But it's critical not only in how we view them, this is sort of the doctrine of the tzaddik, in the doctrine of the Rebbe, in Hasidus, that someone is an example and we attach ourselves to them and we walk in their footsteps and their being on fire lights the spark in us. But equally or maybe more important, I think that the Chalban is saying, is how we view ourselves and how we view our children, grandchildren, the people in our life. Do we see only what appears immediately in front of us or do we see who they can and are meant to be? Do we relate to them in the here and now that's unrealized, that's simply latent, that's buried potential? 
or do we see in them who they can and are meant to be? Michelangelo, I quote this often, Michelangelo would say, when he saw a block of marble, he didn't see the block of marble. He saw the sculpture, and his job was not to chip away at the marble in order to create a sculpture. His job was that he saw first the sculpture, and his job was to chip away at the marble to reveal what he already saw to the rest of the world. When I saw that quote from Michelangelo, it blew me away. That's our job as parents and as educators. Our job is not to see only what appears in front of us. Our job is to see and envision and dream of the potential of who they or we can be and then chip away, not because we're curious what we'll find, but chip away in order to reveal and uncover the potential that's inside us all along. When that holy spark inside us, when that godliness inside us attaches itself and connects itself and has a meeting, a rendezvous, is exposed to righteous and holy, it becomes alive. Have we not all had that experience? Have we not been in the presence of great men and women, great people, kind, righteous, great, and it makes us feel alive? And it makes us feel driven and to want to realize that potential that we see in them that is inside us. They are a window, and through them we see the jewels inside us. And so on. So all of that was point number one I wanted to share with you from the Chalban. The role, this parsha of Emor, the continuation of Kedoshim, that takes that mission that we all have to be holy, but talks about it in the context of the Kohanim. And we begin with these laws that are special and that are incumbent on the Kohanim. That the reason the Kohanim had this distinction is not because intrinsically they are superior or better or different but rather because they are the model, they are the example. They are the window into who we can be. And I, lay, I, I close this thought by encouraging and by really pushing you. Find the people that are inspirational in your life, in your world, and attach yourself to them. Men, women, Kohanim, Levim, Levim, and Yisraelim. And connect and attach to them. And connect and attach to them, ignore. And connect and attach to them. Because that's how we become inspired, that's how we become elevated, that's how we become enriched, that's what we are meant to do, and that is our mission. So that's how our parasha begins. Speak to the Kohanim, the children of Aaron, and say to them, You cannot contaminate yourself to a dead person. You're not allowed to. It's a law of a Kohen. You're not allowed to become contaminated other than to the seven immediate relatives. Except for the relative closest to you, to your mother, your father, son, daughter, or brother, that's the ones you're allowed to become contaminated. That's the funeral you can attend. That's the burial that you can attend in the cemetery. But everybody else, you're absolutely not allowed to connect to, not allowed to become contaminated to. That is the warning, the caution. That is the responsibility of the Kohen. You know, Israel reopened. Uh, in certain conditions, you can apply, even if you're not an Israeli citizen, to come. If you have a first-degree relative, so I was unclear, is a first-degree relative the Zayn Krovim? Is it the same rule? Mother, father, son, daughter, brother, sister, spouse? Or is it only first-degree relative means either parent or child? I'm still unclear on it, as I think the whole world is, as they might be themselves, on exactly what that rule means. So the Kohen is not allowed to contaminate to others. Now Rashi here picks up on the double language, Emor el HaKohanim, why is it redundant? If you're speaking to the Kohanim, why is it and say to them? So says Rashi, That what the Torah here is doing is telling us and cautioning us to tell the adults that they need to preserve this law also for the children. That this law is not only when you're post-bar mitzvah, this law applies even when you are a minor Kohen. Even a Kohen who's under bar mitzvah is cautioned, is precluded from exposing himself to a tumah, to a dead body, to mas'ohel by being in the same room, in the same building, or tumah through contact, and so on. In fact, there's fascinating halachic literature, not for now, about a pregnant Aishas Kohen, a woman married to a Kohen who's pregnant. Is she obligated to get a sonogram? Is she obligated to do a gender reveal? to know if it's a boy or girl fetus, 
to know whether she can go, is she allowed to do a hospital visit, she can go to a cemetery, could she be in a building with a corpse, she herself is allowed, being married to a Kohen doesn't bring these laws upon you, and Aisha's Kohen is allowed to be exposed to Tumah, but if in fact she's carrying a male fetus Kohen, is it already apply in utero? There's halachic literature, believe it or not, about this. We spoke last year, you can listen to last year's shir, about lahazeh gedolam alaktanam, and we saw many interpretations of what it means, including the beautiful interpretations of the visionaries of the Imre Chaim, which I'll remind you, but then I want to see new ones, uh, several new interpretations, mostly from Rav Druk, as we've been going through his magnificent Sfarim this year of Eish Tamid. So the uh, vision of Tzarebbe, the Imre Chaim, said, The word lahazir can mean like zihirus, the first mida in Mesilas Hashem of the Ramchal. We study Wednesday mornings 8.15. The formula of Rapinchas ben Yair is zihirus. Zihirus means vigilance, caution, mindfulness. Zihirus, tizahir, be careful. Be careful. So lahazir, the adults are uh, obligated to be careful and to caution the katanim, the minors. But says the Imre Chaim, lahazir doesn't just mean caution, it means something else. And I refer you to Thursday night, Friday. It's going to be Lag Baomer Shemabra Yochai, the author of the Zohar. At least that's our tradition that he's the author of the Zohar. In that context, in mysticism and Kabbalah, Zohar doesn't mean caution. Zohar means light, to illuminate to brighten. So therefore the vision itself says, perhaps that it means, that's what it means, emor va'amarta, lahazir gedolam alakatanim, that the gedolam, that the adults need to live lifestyles, that they're shining a light, that they are illuminating those who are katanim to see the kind of life that they should live. Alternatively, says the vision itself, lahazir is elu amachzikim atzmam kigedolam, shiaktinu atzmam. Lahazir gedolam, this should illuminate, enlighten, and inspire gedolim, arrogant people with inflated egos who think that they're so great that they're gedolim. Lahazir alakatanim see themselves a little less great, live a little more humbly, live with a little more modesty. So those are the two interpretations of the Heliga vision of Tzadim who says lahazir gedolim alakatanim can either mean lahazir milashon zohar to light up, to illuminate, to brighten, to to. Brighten the path for Ketanam to see how to live, or Lahazir Gedolim, those with inflated egos who think they are Gedolim, to realize that in fact we are Ketanam. The Yoznaim Latorah wonders why specifically here? Why not anywhere else? This mitzvah and no other? Lahazir Gedolim ala Ketanam? It doesn't say adults teach the children Kashas, adults teach the children Shabbos, adults teach the children Yom Kippur, adults teach the children Kibbutz Adults teach the children to be careful with shatnas. Why specifically here and no other? So the Yaznayim Latorah says, you know why here? Because chinuch habayis is so, so important. Education and inspiration is so important. It's not enough to use our words. It's not enough to communicate verbally or orally, but we need to model. So here the adult Kohenim are going to say, look, I'm not just teaching you don't be on the internet. I'm not just teaching you you need a filter. I'm not just demanding of you what you could watch or can't watch or read or not read or what you can subscribe to or not subscribe to. I too am going to protect myself from that contamination. I too am going to be aware of purity and impurity and strive for purity. And I'm going to model it for you. I'm going to teach you. And that's why the fact that this is chosen and is chosen as the only example, Lahazir Gedola Malakatanim tells us just how pernicious, just how threatening, just how damaging it is to be exposed to Tumah. And therefore, here specifically, the adults need to not only speak, but need to model what it means, our responsibility to avoid such Tumah. That is the Aznaim Latorah. So we saw the vision of the Aznaim Latorah. Now let's move over to Rav Druk. And Rav Druk says the following, he asked the same question as does Naim Latora. Madua Davkalinian Mitzvah Why specifically here? What happened to Shabbos, Kashas, Yom Kippur, Kibirav, and so on and so forth. So he says the following. Reishis Yesh Lomar. Ki Iker Yesod Chinach HaKitana Latora Mitzvah Kvar Biyarnu Pa'am and Rabos. Shi Yevshar Lahasek Yesod Chinach HaMuvchar Shalabonam Ayidei Tsaakos V'Tochachos. You cannot transform or inspire or elevate children. We're not going to empower the next generation by the decibel level of our voice. It doesn't happen through yelling or screaming. It doesn't happen through words alone. But rather, the most powerful, 
the most powerful and penetrating form of education is personal example. We spoke about this last week with Acharimos. Ba'ado, uva'ad beso, uva'ad kol ha'am. You want to change the whole world? You want to change your community? You want to change your family? It begins by changing yourself. You're going to be on fire if you see parents who are on fire. We spoke last week, you want kids who learn, do they see you learning? You want kids who value davening, what do they see you value about your davening? You want kids who are striving for holiness, what sacrifices or efforts do they see you make for, sacri- for, for holiness? But now we've got a problem, says Rav Druk, and this is where he's adding to the insights we saw until now. Says Rav Druk, you got a problem for Cohen Jr., Junior Cohen. Why? Because Junior Cohen is hearing one thing at home, but then he's seeing another thing in school and on play dates. You know why? Because Junior Cohen goes to school or camp. Junior Cohen has play dates with non Cohenim, with Levium and Yisraelim. So, therefore, I was going to say, how bad could it be? Because not only do I see my friends, Levium and Yisraelim, not being careful about this, but I see their parents as well. So yes, when my father and mother are personal examples for me, and when I go on a play date, my friends' parents are personal examples too, and everyone's working in sync and in synergy, and it's all integrated as a system that reinforces what's right from wrong, then you're right, I learn from it. But what happens to this junior Cohen? What happens to this young Cohen? who has certain responsibilities at home because his father's a Kohen, but his friend is Israel. So his friend's father's not living that way. Why is my father telling me I have to do something that my friend or my friend's even parents don't have to do? And that's why this specific law needs extra reinforcement. This law needs extra effort. Because here, young Kohanim are not in an atmosphere where everybody are Kohanim. There's a mix. And that's why you don't need the extra when it comes to Kashros, Shabbos, Yom Kippur, Kibbutz, You know why? Because assuming that this child has good friends and a good environment, then whatever home this child goes to, they'll see that their friend and their parents are all living consistent and commensurate with what they hear at home. But when it comes to the caution of Kahuna, that's not the case. Because the kid's going to be friends with non-Kohanim. That's why you need the extra the extra emphasis. Number one. Number two says, Rav Druk, od yesh lahosiv ulevoyer. She'ena perish rakshat tzarek lahazer hasakitanam u'lechazkam sh'loyavid li v'rifyon machmas ha'sviva. It's not just that we are encouraging this minor Kohen. Be firm. Endure. Be strong. This is who you are. Take pride. One day you will serve when the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt and until then, you need to protect yourself from Tumah. It's not that. Only. Says Rav Druk, let's pay careful attention to the words. This should not just be a cautionary tale. It shouldn't just be an instruction. It doesn't say should be the katanim. It doesn't say adults. Eh, you be casual, but make sure you're vigilant with the children. It says, be vigilant, adults, for the children. Sort of drugs diak in the words of Rashi. It doesn't say, ha-gedolem ar-mazir It says, la-hazir ha-gedolem ala-katanem. You adults, you need to be vigilant, extremely careful. Why? Al-ha-katanem. And here, Rav Druk answers a question. It happens to be that Rav Schwab, in his Sefer, Mayim Beis Yeshua, says the same thing. He has the same insight. Rav Schwab has it on Parshas Naso, where the laws of Nazir appear, and that's the Haftorah, story of Manoach and the birth of Shimshon is the Haftorah of Parshas Naso, and that's where he has it. So what happens? Manoach and his wife, what's her name? Eshes Manoach. Why is she only Eshes Manoach and does she not deserve a name? You got to learn Navi, Shoftim, in order to get the answer. So the Malach comes and tells him, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. And the child is going to be a Nazir. The child will take the vow, a Nazarite vow, and bear that responsibility to live that holy way from the womb. 
שהנה מגיע מלך אלוקים על איש המבשר לו, כי היא הולכת ללדס בן, שיהיה נוזר מן הבטן, ומורה לא היה לה ראשו. בעקבות בסורה זו מצווה המלך הזה אישה, and so the angel comes and tells the wife of Manoach, you're going to get pregnant, you're going to have a child, and from the womb the child's going to emerge as a nazir, never cut his hair, protect and preserve him from tumah, and so on. And concludes, v'yatahi shamrina, therefore you, wife of Manoach, be careful. Don't drink wine or beer, v'yatohli kol tamay, and don't expose yourself to anything tamay. She goes and tells her husband Manoach everything. The Navi describes that she relates exactly what the angel told her, including the instruction, don't drink alcohol, don't drink wine, and don't be near, don't expose yourself to Tumah, to impurity. What happens? So Manoach says, that's nice, great news, we're going to have a child. And good, child's going to be holy, child's going to strive to be a Nazir. But you know what Manoach Davin's for? Send the angel again. I want to hear it from the angel. And it's a very, very difficult question. So what happens? Let the angel come again and tell us what should happen with the child who will be born. And wonders Rav Druk, as does Rav Schwab and others, what did Manoach not understand? Did he not trust his wife? Is he challenging her? She didn't relay exactly what the angel said. Was the angel not clear? What exactly is the, what's at the core of why Manoach wants the angel to come back? And when the Malach comes back, and Manoach says, no, What should we do with this child? And the angel says, Everything I said to your wife, be careful. So he didn't say anything. He just told Manoach. So why did Manoach want him to come back? And what did the angel clarify when he came back? All he said succinctly was, Everything I told your wife, be careful. So says Rav Schwab and says Rav Druk, no, you're misunderstanding the conversation. What happened? Manoach said to himself, how is this child going to grow up a Nazir if I'm not a Nazir? If his mother's not a Nazira? How will this child grow and have expectations of him? How will this child have demands on him that we're not living? I want to see this angel again. How's that going to work out? How's that going to succeed? What kind of child will be able to sustain that? So the angel comes back. And here's what Rav Druk and Rav Schwab say. You know what the angel says? Mikol asher amarti isha tishamer. Everything I told your wife, guard, be careful, do. Tishamer doesn't mean tishamer about the child. Tishamer means you're right. You want the child to grow up this way? Tishamer, you need to be this way. You live away from wine. You protect yourself from tumah. If you want the child to emerge that way, then you are right. You need to live that way. It's an entire reinterpretation of the conversation, the story of Manoach and Eishas Manoach, of Shimshon's parents with the angel. And it's a powerful, powerful lesson for us that if we want our children to meet expectations, if we have a picture in our mind's eye of the kind of Jewish pride and Jewish life and lifestyle and Jewish intensity and Torah life we want them to have, then we don't need to have it in our mind's eye. Where we need to have it is in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror and see whether we're living what we expect and demand of those. That's emor. Emor ve'amarta. Emor ve'amarta. Quickly, a couple more interpretations. Because we saw two in the vision of Zerebbe. We saw one from the Aznayim Torah, And now we saw one so far from Rav Druk. Here's another one from Rav Druk. In the opposite direction. He says, Ein matarasan ha'gasam shagidolam we said, why is the adult need to be careful and vigilant themselves? That's what will inspire the children. Now we're going to say in the opposite direction. The reason the adult should be vigilant is not because it will inspire the child, but the reason to do it in front of the child is because it will inspire the adult. In the beginning of Parsha's bow, when Hashem hardens Paro's heart, it says, Hashem says to Moshe, that the reason he's hardening Paro's heart and bringing these plagues shows us why I'm doing this so you'll tell in the ears of your children and grandchildren what I did, the wondrous signs, the miracles, how I suspended nature. And then, you will know, because I am Hashem. What do you mean, how should that Pasuk have ended? You're listening carefully, this is an amazing insight. You got your first Vartorah for next Pesach. Why does it say Vidatem? You're going to tell and recite 
and teach your children all that you have, all that happened to you, and all that you experienced, and all that you witnessed, and then you will know that I'm Hashem. What do you mean you will know? Then they will know. Then they will know I'm God. What do you mean vidatem? And then you will know. Says Druk, you know what the answer is? Even the people who lived through the miracles, even the Dordea, even the generation who came out of Mitzrayim, the generation who themselves witnessed and observed and experienced firsthand the rescue, the salvation, the miracles, it could dissipate, it dissolves, it loses its steam, its specialness. So how do we get it back? How do we remember how remarkable and extraordinary it was? How do we remember to be able to thank Hashem when we tell the Ketanim it inspires ourselves? So in the experience of Lamanta Saper Be'oznei Bincha Uben Bincha, Vidatem, not V'edu, yeah V'edu. When you tell them, they'll know there's a God. You know who else will renew their knowledge there's a God? You know who else will reinvigorate and become re-excited that there's a God? So when we model for our children, not only are our children the beneficiaries, but in fact, by teaching the children, we are reminding, we're reinvigorating, we're re-exciting ourselves about it. Re-exciting. We lived through some miraculous time. So we remember. We remember. When my parents tell me about the Six-Day War and the feelings of euphoria and the feeling that a Jew could walk through the street anywhere in the world and they looked like they were 15 feet tall just because of Israel pulled off in that Six-Day War. So, okay, it's a different experience. Yom Yerushalayim will be different for them after they've told their children and grandchildren what it was like the Six-Day War. What do you mean? But they were alive. They knew it. Maybe they lived through it in some ways, those certainly who served in the, our heroes who served in the army. But when you tell the story to the other, not only do you inspire them, you become re-inspired. That's Pshat in the Pasuk, the beginning of Parshish Bo. Vidatem. When you are Lamantis Aper Be'oznei, then not only Vidatem. Vidatem. So says Rav Druk, maybe that's the Pshat here as well. Emor ve'amarta. Lahazir gedolim. Do you know how you're mazir the gedolim? Al ha'ketanim. So two beautiful insights. First, that it doesn't say the gedolim amazir the ketanim, but lahazir gedolim ala ketanim. If you want children to live a certain way, you need to learn it, live it. That's what the angel told Manoach and Eshes Manoach. And that's what the Torah is telling the Kohanim. You want your young Kohanim to meet your expectations, then you need to live it. But pshat number two is lahazir gedolim. The adults will come inspired. How? Because when you tell the story, and when you set the expectation for the children, when you inspire them, you become inspired. You become inspired. Inspire yourself to inspire others. Inspire others to inspire yourself. Both of them are true. Last one. We saw two Vishnitzers, and Aznayim the Torah, and so far two Rav Druk, a third Rav Druk, and then we'll move on, because there's still a full Parsha, and we're already somehow shockingly halfway through. The last one is the following is the following. Pirshim Nosafim, there are other, Al-Derech Remez Yeshlomar, says, Rav Juk Shadibar Khan Bofen Klali Al-Kola Mitzvah, that we're not just talking about Kahuna, and we're not just talking about Tum and Tahara, we're talking about all of Mitzvahs, Shetzerach Lahazer Al-Dvarim Ketanim Kamal Al-Dvarim Gedolim, Lahazer Gedolim Al-Ketanim is not talking about adults or children, but rather Lahazer Gedolim Al-Ketanim is talking about our attitude towards Mitzvahs. There are the ones we think are big, significant, defining, for how long already has it been defined? Who is an observant Jew? Shabbos, Kashras, Taras HaMeshbacha. The big three. Shabbos, Kashras, Taras Those are what we call the big three. Those are the Gedolim. Eh, the little things, do you really care? Do they really matter? Does God really care? That's what the Torah tells us. No, 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 no. There's no such thing as big and little when it comes to mitzvahs and averos. When it comes to the will of God, when it comes to what he's articulated for us, when it comes to the blueprint for his world, there are no Gedolim or Katana. There's no big or small but rather we are bound by it all. That's what the Mishnah Perkyavos teaches us. Have a chamura. Be as careful. Zahir. It's not a coincidence, says Rav Druk. The same word Zahir. Zahir, be as cautious, careful, and vigilant when it comes to what you think is a small or insignificant, a light mitzvah, as you do for a severe one, because we don't really know. We have no idea the system of reward and punishment. We don't know the matrix in Shamayim about really which is more important, which is greater, which is smaller. So it's not a coincidence. Lahazir It's the same message, the third insight of Rav Druk and our uh, two, three, 
Sixth insight of what it means, Amor Va'amarta. Six new insights over the ones that we saw last year. I think we've exhausted Amor Va'amarta. I share them with you, not because I think they're, only because they're fascinating interpretations of a famous Rashi, but they're partial perspectives for today. They're an inspiration about how to raise our children. They're an inspiration. What comes out of this is, you know, you want to become inspired again? Talk to your children about davening, and you'll be excited about davening. You know, have you ever like fallen off of your diet or your exercise routine, but then you start telling somebody all about what you used to do, the exercise routine you used to have, or the eating lifestyle you used to be careful with? By telling and preaching to others, you become inspired again yourself. So this insight is both the method of how to inspire our children, but also how to become inspired ourselves. Inspire yourself to inspire others. Inspire others, you'll become inspired yourself. So what is this instruction? To another soul, you're not allowed to become Tameh. Kohen's not allowed to become Tameh. Kohen can't go to a hospital that has a morgue. If the hospital is uh, majority Jewish, the Kohen can't go into a Jewish cemetery or a cemetery. Kohen can't be exposed to Tumah in an OL through a building, an edifice, or in, in direct as well, or directly as well. We don't have a Beis HaMikdash today. We're not going to do this piece. We'll do a different piece. That was the, uh, the Kohen is cautioned. So what does it mean, Lo Yitama Be'amav? Lo Yitama Be'amav. So, Bakim to the rest of the relatives they can. So listen to what Rav Druk says here. Drush na yesh drush It's a nice drush. Listen to the drush. The Gemara Nida Daflam Al tells us, Shlosha Shutfan yesh ba'adam. There are three partners in every human being. Three partners. The mother, the father, we contribute the ingredients, the materials. But the one who inserts the soul, the one who determines the DNA, so to say, is not the DNA we contribute, but the spiritual DNA, is the Almighty. There are three partners. That's why the Gemara concludes that if you honor your father or mother, you are honoring God. And if you disrespect and dishonor your father and mother, then you are disrespecting or dishonoring God. Why? Because it's a partnership and the attitude towards one of the partners reflects on your attitude towards all of the partners. So there are three partners. There are people who are mixing the ingredients constantly, but the third partner is not contributed and therefore there's no life. Kodesh Baruch, on the other hand, wants a child to be born, but he needs a husband and wife. He needs the man and the woman to be able to uh, conceive, to make the decision themselves, to contribute the genetic material. There are three partners, a father, mother, and Hashem. The Gemara there says, Aviv Mazriah Halobin, Shemimenu Atzamas Vigidim the husband contributes the white element from which the bones and the sinews and the fingernails and the, and the marrow in the head, the brain, and the white of the eye. It all forms from the white that the husband, that the father contributes. Imo, the mother, Mazras Odem, she contributes the red element. Shemimenu Or, the skin and the flesh and the hair, the dark part of the eye. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu gives the Ruach HaNeshama, the Kalseis Serponim, Uriyas Ha'ayin, Shmiyas Ozen, V'dibor Peh, Hilach Raglayim, Ubinav HaSeichel. What does God do? He turns on this golem. He makes this, this inanimate object come alive. So we give the materials, the husband the white element, and the wife the red element, and God turns it on. God makes an animated living being. He makes the ears hear, and the eyes see, and the mouth speak, and the legs work, and so on. So from the father and mother, you see what you get is the physical being. From a Kaddish Baruch, what you get is the neshama. And now says Rav Druk, maybe apidrush. This is an insight in the Pasuk. What does it mean? It says, uh, Pasuk says, lenefesh lo yitama be'amav, means, mehichan bala la'adam achit. When we make a mistake, a miscalculation, when we violate an indiscretion, where does it come from? It's not the soul driving us. The soul is pure. The soul is godly. It is the body. The inclination, the instinct, the appetite, the temptation of the body is drawing us to that pleasure, to that poor decision. But the soul, the godliness in us, so the soul cannot be contaminated. The soul itself is pure like God. But when it's housed in the instrument, in the vehicle called the body, and the body struggles with appetite and temptation, now the soul's got, now, now uh, the body makes mistakes. And that's what it means. Your soul can never be contaminated. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? 
It comes from the body element of who you are. And who gave you your body? Your father and your mother. That doesn't mean you should blame your father and mother for everything you do wrong and everything that goes wrong, but it means symbolically. The father and mother who contribute the physical, so when we make a mistake, the tumah in us is coming from the physical element of who we are, not from the soul. The tumah is coming from the physical element of who we are. The tumah is not coming from the soul. Okay, continuing the Pasuk. Perak Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Continuing on to the next page. So this Kohen has all kinds of rules. Isha Zonav Yikachu. Rav Azulai. Azulai Isha Zonav Yikachu. Isha Grusham Isha Yikachu. Ki Kadoshu Lelokav. Vikidashto. Ki Eslechem Lokecha Humakriv. Kadosh Yielach. Ki Kadosh Ani Mikadosh Chem. Oh, where did I see this amazing example? I wanted to share you. So um, the Kohen is cautioned for living this lifestyle. Now skip to Pasuk Gimel. Vuhu Isha Bibsula Yikach. The Kohen has to, um, the Kohen cannot marry a divorcee, and the Kohen Gadol has to marry a woman who's not even a widow. The Kohen Gadol has to marry a woman who's not even a widow. Why? Why this extra layer on the Kohen Gadol? So, listen to this insight. Listen to this insight. It's an amazing insight. It blew me away when I saw this this morning. Listen to what he says. The Moshe of Zakanim of the Bali Tosos say the following. The, any, a regular Yisrael or Levi can marry any woman, can marry any single woman. She could be a divorcee, she could be a convert, she could be a widow, any woman. A Kohen can marry a woman who's not a convert and not a divorcee, but can marry a widow. A Kohen Gadol cannot even marry a widow. Has to be a B'sula, a woman who was never married. Why? Why? Wonders the das of the Moshe of the of Baal why? Listen to this answer. It's amazing! Listen to this! You know why? The whole rule that the Kohen Gadol cannot marry a widow is because maybe the Kohen Gadol will meet a married woman and he will be smitten. He will be attracted to her beauty inside and out. So when he gets into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, when on the holiest day of the year, the holy person in the holiest place, you know what he's going to think about? Maybe for a moment his mind will wander, not to receiving atonement on behalf of all the people, not to the safety and security of the people of Israel, but maybe for a moment, in that holiest place, the holiest person, on the holiest day, you know where his mind is going to wander? That woman he's smitten by. And what will he take advantage of this special moment to daven for? For her husband to leave this world. To leave her available to him so he can marry her. Maybe he'll meet this woman, he'll be so smitten, so taken, he'll say, she's my Bashir, she's the one I'm meant to be with, not this guy. But he's an impediment, he's an obstacle, he's in the way. How do I get rid of him? I know I get to go in the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur. I go into the Holiest of Holies on the Holiest Day of the wheel, Year. This is the idea of the Moshe of Zikin the Baliatosos. Mavil HaRayom, says of Druk, and this is the powerful message that I want to bring and share, Chizuk, to me and to you and to all of us. The Baliatosos, that's the pshat you came up with? That's what you came up with? What does that pshat presuppose? You know what that pshat presupposes? That the Kohen Gadol is human. The Kohen Gadol is human. He has human needs and human attraction. And that his mind might wander to that place. And in order to prevent him from davening for that thing, we take it off the table. Kohen Gadol, she's off the table. Even if her husband's out of the way, she's off the table. Because she would be an almana. And therefore the Kohen Gadol, concentrate, stay focused. A concession we make to the reality and humanity of the Kohen Gadol, to the fallibility of the Kohen Gadol, therefore we take it off the table. The Torah is in fact worried that the holiest person, on the holiest day, in the holiest place, when he is saying the holiest name, what thoughts could go through his mind? Adultery, murder, and therefore they prohibit an almana to a Kohen Gadol. Nora Noraos writes Rav Druk. And now you met him. 
when he sat next to me right here, the Parsha class, this is, you can hear of Druk saying these words. You met him, you saw him in real life. You see where a person can go. If we don't work to sanctify and elevate ourselves, if we don't strive for holiness, you see what a person could even be thinking about in that moment. You see where a person can slide, how low we can go, how distracted we can be, how absolutely cloudy our judgment can get, how miscalculated and misguided we could become if we don't strive for holiness. This explains... Why do we read Parshas Arayas at Mincha and Yom Kippur? Again, last week we read Parshas Achrei Mos. Why do we read Parshas Arayas at Mincha and Yom Kippur? Mincha Yom Kippur, we've already gone through Kol Nidre, Marev, Shacharis, Musaf, Mincha. We are almost all the way through Yom Kippur. We've been fasting. We see ourselves as angels. We have no need for leather f- f- shoes. We are angelic. We are angelic. And what do we read about when we think we're angelic? promiscuity, licentiousness, lewdness, inappropriate relationships, specifically then. Why? Because the Torah cautions us. Don't ever think that you're superhuman. Never think that you're beyond reproach. Never think that you are immune from the distraction, from the urge. Never think you're immune from the id. Never think you're immune. Yisodza we find in the Pasuk, Kedoshim Yil Elokeim, V'lo Yichalu Shem Elokeim. Here in our Pasha, the Kohanim, Ketzam Mizyashim Beis Tivuim Elo Shazayim Zeh. Mitzad Echad, the Torah says, get to a high level of Kedoshim Yiyu. On the second hand, Mitzad Shenyu, below Shem Hefzik, then it continues and says, Shilo Yichalalu, which is a lower. So which is it? Am I only cautioned Lo Yichalalu, or do I have to strive all the way to Kedoshim Yiyu? Am I only cautioned, don't desecrate, or do I have to meet the expectation and the demand, the level of Kedoshim Yiyu? Habir Azesh, The answer is, there is no middle ground. You're either holy or you're desecrating. You're in a moment, your mind is in a holy place, or your mind is in a desecrating place. What I love about this insight of Rav Druk is, what chizuk, what validation to human beings and to humanity, that we're human, we get distracted. The Torah doesn't have a utopian vision of the world and who we can be. The Torah is describing a reality of who we are, and a reality of how far we can fall if we're not vigilant, if we're not careful, and if we don't have holy aspirations and holy ambitions. Going back, the Balaturim says, V'hu isha b'psula yikach. The Balaturim says, V'hu, the word V'hu is in gematria. Here's a gematria for the gematria lovers out there. V'hu is in gematria yudches. Remez ben yudches shan The mission of the fifth parak of Avos tells us that one should get married at 18 years old. So V'hu is the numerical value 18. V'hu isha b'psuleha, which also we find in Tehillim, Perkites, Vehu kechasan yotze mechupaso. Vehu kechasan yotze mechupaso. Vehu is 18. Why is the chasan? When is the chasan yotze mechupaso? When he's 18 years old. Ben Shmona Esrei Lechupa. And that is what we see. That is what we see here. By the way, <coughs> allergies, not corona. I'm vaccinated. But why do we see that Ben Shmona Esrei Lechupa? That Mishnah Navos is very difficult. We studied this several years ago in the afternoon column. We learned Masechus Kedushin together, and it's available uh, online. I thought mitzvahs apply when you're 13. From 13 to 18, this man who's obligated in Torah mitzvahs, who we celebrated the bar mitzvah and coming of age, what other example do we have of a mitzvah that is deferred? A mitzvah that doesn't apply till later, from 13 to 18. And the Gemara gives a small window, because the Mishnah says get married at 18, and if by 20 you're not married, your bones rot which is not a judgment or statement about those who are want and are trying to get married and are above 20. I was older than 20 when I got married. But it's a very small window, 18 to 20. It's very unusual, only here in this mitzvah. Why is that? You can go back to that Shira Masechus Kedushin for many, many more sources about why that is and about what that is about. Okay, let's keep on going. Perek Chav Aleph. Go back to Pasuk Tess for a moment. In Pasuk Tess, we talked about the daughter of a coin is desecrated through adultery. She desecrated her father. She desecrated her father. Isn't that uh, sexist, chauvinist, misogynistic? What are we talking about her father? It's her behavior, her accountability, her life, her choice. Why is this a reflection on her father? So Rabbi Shlomo Kluger in a Sefer, Imre Shefer, asks, The daughter of the coin who has adultery and fidelity 
she is desecrating her father. Why her father? So says Rosh Shlomo Kluger, a very powerful message. The theme in this parsha is the theme of example and the theme of one generation to the other passing on behaviors and attributes and traits. There are some wicked people whose parents were righteous. Slowly, slowly, they became a Russia themselves. They didn't follow their father's footsteps. But if somebody doesn't slowly, incrementally do something wicked or evil, but they do so quickly and overnight and immediately, then that's a sign that their parent is a Russia. And that's what it says. The daughter of a Kohen who herself is desecrated in her behavior and who, um, who has an affair. When immediately and from the beginning she jumps into a life of znus, avia hi mechalelis. What she reveals, that's the mechalelis. What she's desecrating, what she makes clear and obvious, is that her parents are no better. That her parents are no better. So because of the way in which she, so comfortably, so casually, so easily, so quickly, shows rishus in her own life, that reflects and reveals that it's what she saw at home. It's what she saw modeled for her. It's who her parents were. And that's why, says Rav Shlomo Kluger, es avia through her behavior, she is telling the world what she sees at home and how her parents and how her parents behave. Okay. Now we have the general caution to all of us, what we all know. One of my favorite and I think most powerful psukim, Perach Avbeis Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Torah tells us about safeguarding the offerings and truma loichalushim kachi, all this chilo kedusha kodesh chalal, and uh, so on. And chol perachav beis pasuk lamed Skip all the way to page six eighty. Pasuk lamed beis velosa chalalu hashem kachi v'nek dashti b'soch bnei yisrael ani hashem mekadishchem. We've spoken about this many times as well in the past. I don't want to review, but I want to teach you new things. Velosa chalalu the same rabbeinu bachia that we just a moment ago sh- uh, saw the same idea that where's the third option. Don't desecrate God's name. Make a Kiddush Hashem. Uh, what if I'm not doing either? I'm not in the mood to either make a great Kiddush Hashem, but I'm also not going to desecrate Hashem's name. I'm just going to have lunch. I'm just going to eat lunch. I'm just going to take the bus. I'm just going to go to work. I'm just going to work out at the, at the gym that's kosher to be at. So, it's parv, neutral. I'm neither making a great Kiddush Hashem nor a Chil Hashem. Why isn't that okay? Where's the parv? Says Ben Bachia and others... There is no neutral, and there is no parav. Everything we're doing is either holy and sacred, or there's an absence and a void of God's name. Everything. Our life is one or the other. If we're doing what's right, what's just, what's correct, it doesn't have to be something which is so enormous and transform- transformative, but it's a Kiddush Hashem. Just doing what's right is a Kiddush Hashem. And the opposite's also true. You didn't hold the door. You didn't say please or thank you. Your word wasn't your bond. Then it's a Chil Hashem. Those are the two options. And in fact... And in fact, the Limude Nisan of Nisan Alpert, Zatzah says, V'nikdashti is Lashon Nifal. In Hebrew grammar, it's the form of the verb, which is Nifal, which is passive. Why? Because Kiddush Hashem doesn't happen when you give your life or in the most noble way where even though your factory burned down, you pay your workers. Kiddush Hashem is, you held the door. Nifal, passively. Are you a mensch? Do you act justly and correctly and with integrity in a very passive way? That too is a Kiddush Hashem. But listen to this insight of, of Rav Druk. I love this halacha. He says the following. He says the following. I know we're heavy on Rav Druk today, but it's also good. What can I do? The mission of us, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka, Omer, Komachal Hashem Shemayim Beseis, Nefram Bimeno Begoloi, Echad Shogeg Ve'echad Mezid Bechil Hashem. It's a mission on the fourth parak of Avos. The summertime, we're reading Perkei Avos, second mission we're quoting from Avos today. So the Mishnah says, third Mishnah from Perkei Avos we're quoting today. The Mishnah says in Perak Dalad that anyone who desecrates God's name even in private, will pay for it in public. And one is liable and culpable and accountable for Chil Hashem when you desecrate God's name, not only if you did it on purpose, but even if you did it by accident. And wonders Rav Druk, what? In Halacha, generally, we have a major distinction between Mezid and Shogig. The consequence is enormously different, categorically different when you do something intentionally with malice versus when you do something accidentally. So why with Chil Hashem? It's a great question. 
If you did it by accident, why are you accountable? What do you want from me? It was an accident. I didn't realize what I was doing or I didn't know it was wrong. What do you want from me? How do you hold me accountable? Why is it echad shogig bechil Lashem? Why is this different than all other mitzvos in the Torah? So in order to understand this, we have to look at another halacha, says Rav Druk. These are golden Rav Druks I'm giving you. Not me giving you. Rav Druk is giving us golden divrei Torah today. These are fantastic. All of them, not just Rav Druk, all the divrei Torah, Baruch Hashem, were Zoha to be the... Uh, to be the inheritors of such a magnificent heritage of Torah. It's all so wonderful and so informative, inspiring. It's all so beautiful. So the Gemara Baba Kamad of Chavav tells us, Adam muad la'olam. A person is muad la'olam. Unlike an animal who's untrained, unlike an animal that I don't know yet has a pattern for goring, for damaging, a human being is assumed to be dangerous and liable from birth. Ben shogeg, ben mezid, ben er, ben yashin. Let's say I'm sleeping. And I turn over in my sleep and I knock over your vase and I break it. Am I liable? Do I have to pay for your vase? Let's say I'm sleeping. I fall asleep chas v'shalom a billion times over while driving. And therefore I ram to someone else's car. Baruch Hashem, nobody's hurt. But I damage your brand new Tesla. Do I have to pay you for your Tesla? I'll say, well, I was sleeping. It wasn't my fault. I fell asleep. So the halacha is adam muad olam. When a human being damages, you're culpable, liable, whether you're awake or sleeping, whether it was intentional or whether it was by accident. When we break things by accident, you have to pay for it. Why? Why? Isn't there such a thing as an accident? Why should I have to pay if it was by accident? I accidentally nicked your car. I accidentally broke your vase. I accidentally dropped your phone. I accidentally... It was an accident. Or I was asleep. I did something in my sleep. Why am I liable for that which I do in my sleep? So the answer is... When is it that if you do something by accident, you're exempt? When something is a punishment. We don't punish you if it was an accident. Intent matters in the world of reward and punishment. But you know, when you make somebody whole because you damaged, that's not the world of reward and punishment. That's not the world of mitzvah or avera. It's the world of tashlum and it's compensation. I damaged you, I have to compensate. Your Tesla doesn't care if it was an accident. Your bank account doesn't care if I was awake or asleep. If I damage, I must compensate. And here too, if I damage your car, your vase, your phone, sleeping or awake, on purpose or by accident, I have to, comp- I have to compensate. So now says Rav Druk, we can understand this halacha. Listen to this. He says, now we understand the halacha that chil Hashem, bein shogig, bein mezid, you have to pay. You know why? Chil Hashem is nezek to Hashem. Where do you put chil Hashem? Does Chil Hashem go under the category of mitzvah or avera? Does Chil Hashem go under the category of schar or onesh? Neither. Chil Hashem goes under the category of tashlumen. Chil Hashem goes under the category of tashlumen. Im kein Sleeping or awake on purpose or by accident, you must compensate for damage you did. And when we make a chil Hashem, we have done damage to God in this world. We hurt His brand. We hurt the movement. We hurt the brand. Brand damage. And therefore, you have to compensate. And that's why we are accountable. Echad shogig, echad mezid Hashem is a continuation of the halacha that Adam muad la'olam bein shogig bein mezid. Chil Hashem is not a function of mitzvah avera. Chil Hashem is a function of, of damage, of nezek. We damage God. We damage our mission in this world. We damage His vision for this world. If in fact, if in fact we don't live up to who we're meant to be, we don't live up to the notion of the, of a, of a Kiddush Hashem. I wanted to get to a beautiful, Rav, a beautiful insight of Rav Volba. Maybe we'll end with this quickly. Pasuk says towards the end of the parsha, menorah Torah Hashem Tamid. On the pure menorah, you arrange the lamps before Hashem Tamid. What does the word Tamid here mean? What does the word Tamid mean? The menorah is arranged; it's lit Tamid. What is Tamid? So Rashi says Tamid does not mean the menorah has to be lit twenty-four hours a day, all times. Rather, it means the Aaron has to light the menorah every night. Tamid means every night, not occasionally, not once a week, not once a month. Tamid every night. The Ramban says something else. Says the Ramban, we learn from the word Tamid that it has to be lit even on Shabbos. Even if the Kohen is in a state of Tumah. Tamid means even the things that normally prevent us from doing other things. But Tamid means you light the menorah. So Rashi says Tamid means every night. The Ramban says Tamid means even on Shabbos, even in a state of Tumah. But you can learn from this Pasuk, says Ravoba, a definition of the word Masmid. 
When we talk about somebody as a masmid, we praise this bachar, this yeshiva bachar, that he's a masmid. Masmid usually translates as incredibly diligent in their study. Says Ravobit, you learn from this Rashi and Ramban that masmid doesn't necessarily mean the one who learns day and night. Masmid doesn't mean cumulatively the one who learns the most quantity of hours, but it means it's a person who sets aside time for learning. Just like Rashi says it means you light every night, the masmid is the one who's koveya itim, who makes time for learning. That's what it means to be a masmid. To be a masmid is not to learn the most hours. To be a masmid is not to learn all hours. To be a masmid is to fix hours for learning and to keep to them, to set aside time. And just like the Ramban says, even on Shabbos, a masmid does something not only during the week, but even on Shabbos. And the masmid does it even in a state of tumma, even when you feel like, don't feel like learning, and even if you don't feel worthy of learning. It means you have a fixed time for davening, a fixed time for learning. That's hasmada. Hasmada is not how much, and hasmada is not how often. Hasmada is fixing times and then keeping to them. That's what it means to be a masmid. A new definition, and it's one we can live up to. To be the masmid, to be the most diligent, to burn the midnight oil, to learn the most hours, not all of us have the zitzfleisch. It's hard to be that kind of a masmid. But the masmid who fixes times and keeps to them, all of us can be that kind of a masmid, a new definition of masmid, masmid. And with all that, I leave you. Until next time, tomorrow morning, 8.15. We are, tomorrow morning, 8.15, Mesut Sisharim, 10 minutes of meaning. Tomorrow, 8.45, we are living with Emuna. Tomorrow night, we're going behind the beam at 9 p.m. with another amazing episode. Take a moment, if you're watching on YouTube, to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button below, and you'll be notified every time we learn. And if you're listening on our podcast, please rate and review. Until next time, stay happy, stay holy, and stay healthy.